Hello and welcome to Let It Be, a podcast about less doing and more being. This is episode 68. So Brooke, you and I are both minimalists in theory, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> and we've we've tried different paths to get there, but that's where we've both ended up in that kind of minimalist area. And today, I guess I wanted to explore the current concept of minimalism because it's been hijacked somewhat to reflect mm-hmm. more an aesthetic as opposed to a mindset. And um, there certainly seems to be a lot of people out there who want to impose rules on minimalism insofar as how many things you're allowed to own if you're a minimalist. Um, and yeah, so that's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, and let's talk about that one first. Like what frustrates you currently about the minimalism movement? That is such a good question. <laughs> and how long is a piece of I know. Screen? I was going to like, this, you know, let's sit back and uh, yeah. I've, got, I've just got a cup of coffee here and really I just wanted to be able to drink it. So I thought I'd ask you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, this comes from um, your conversation with um, Sarah Wilson on the Slow Your Home yep. podcast about a month ago where you guys both expressed certain frustrations and I was like, yes, I, I agree. Mm. And I just thought it was worth exploring those today for our listeners. Yeah. I, so there's a couple of things that really – grind my gears about minimalism and I'm using that I'm using air quotes now because I don't even <laughs> feel like it's a real thing anymore that people can hear the word and go oh okay I know what you're talking about mm. it's just being co-opted by so many people for so many different agendas and I think the two things that really annoy me are that there's this proliferation of articles basically saying that minimalism is only for wealthy people And the reason that there is articles like that is because minimalism, the aesthetic, has been confused with minimalism, the lifestyle, the mindset. Mm -hmm. They're not the same thing. Minimalism, the aesthetic, is a design thing. It's, you know, it's sparsely decorated maybe. It might be all white. It might be all plywood. But it's, it's really simple, clean lines. Minimalism, the aesthetic, might look like that. It might but it certainly doesn't have to. It's about questioning and getting back to the essentials, whatever that looks like, getting back to the things that that are important or useful or beautiful or meaningful and getting rid of the excess. And the fact that the two have have been used interchangeably for the last couple Mm -hmm. of years, I think means that people don't necessarily know that there's a difference. And I think that a lot of that has come through from, you know, it was obvious a few years ago to me that, minimalism as a a lifestyle as a movement was emerging and and gaining popularity and I always thought it was going to be interesting to see how marketers (laughs) figured out a way of selling to minimalists exactly you know how are we going to be able to commoditize this group of people who have decided that stuff isn't that important oh I know we'll make minimalism look a certain way and then make them feel like they're not doing it right if they don't look like that and that's I think where we're at now and it really does annoy me because there is so much to be gained from living life with just the essentials at the center. And that's what it is to me, you know? So I think that that's the, the probably the biggest bugbear that I have about it at the moment. But then the other side of it is this idea that if you live a certain way and you call it minimalism, but it doesn't look a certain mm-hmm. way, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So, you know, you've kind of got these two opposite ends of the spectrum 
people thinking that minimalism is one thing and it's not. And then other people saying, no, no, no. But if you're not doing this, then you're not a minimalist. It's similarly shutting down anyone else's idea of what it is to live simply or minimally because it doesn't look like this particular Instagram feed or, you know, that, that magazine's idea of a minimalist interior. And the thing I think that is at the heart of both of those things is that minimalism isn't actually about stuff at all, at all. (laughs) It's just the way to get there. It's about life, you know, and living in a particular way that has the important stuff at the center and almost invariably comes the realization that the stuff that's important isn't stuff at all. So the fact that we're spending so much time focusing on what minimalism looks like is missing the point entirely, I think. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, my personal main bugbear beyond the fact that, yeah, it's been co-opted more as an aesthetic than as a mindset is the fact that people are now trying to impose rules on it. So there'll be a magazine spread and the person will have 15 pairs of shoes in their cupboard and someone will go, oh, and they call themselves a minimalist. And it's like, you know what? It's that whole gotcha thing that really gets Mm -hmm. me. I I hate the gotcha aspect of it. Um, That happened to us. Yeah. When we had our house on Insight on SBS a couple of years ago and they did a house tour and looking back, like, there was a reason that I felt weird about it and <laughs> I, that became clear pretty quickly. But um, <laughs> but they, they took a shot inside our wardrobe and then that became a discussion on Facebook oh, of no. how many pairs of shoes is too many for a quote-unquote minimalist, you know. And I'm like, really? This is what – this is not what it's about. Yeah, so I, I absolutely agree with you that there's that element of gotcha. I just think when we start, and this is with any approach to life at all, I think as soon as we start applying rules to it and then the very next step is the very all or nothing type approach. And then if you're not all or nothing in your approach, which is never, ever healthy, not ever, Mm -mm. I don't care if we're talking about healthy eating or exercise or, you know, meditation, taking an all or nothing approach to anything it's not a great way to approach life. And yet people are, first of all, yeah, indulging in these gotcha moments of, oh, well, they, get, they don't get to apply that label to themselves if that's what they're going to do. Or, mm. And yeah, I hate that aspect of it. I hate that, you know, the, the seeing things on Instagram or on Facebook and going, oh, well then, yeah, you're not really that, are you? And it's like, is this where we've got to? And yeah, so I was a bit the same as you. As soon as minimalism and slower living started to hit the mainstream media, I was like, here we go. Because <laughs> yeah. it sort of loses all nuance and yes. subtlety when it hits the mainstream and it's these things get dumbed down and squashed into list articles, you know, yeah. like to make it, I don't know, scannable like to, to people who have never come across the idea of it before. And I get that as an introductory thing, but it then becomes this sort of, oh, it, it sort of really strips the guts and the, like the nuance out of it. Yeah. So that it looks like this set of five things to do to have a minimalist house kind of thing. And that's not it at all. And I think anyone who has explored it, read about it, studied it, tried to live it for any length of time, yeah. not in a trendy sort of, by all the minimalist kind of things way, but in a real way, 
yeah. Buy all the um, Scandinavian wood furniture and the, yeah. you know, the white, you know, the soft grey throw rug and the succulent in the grey pot and, <laughs> you know. And, this, and then you're a minimalist. That's it. And no, I... It frustrates me a little bit because I guess what happens when the mainstream media takes over any kind of thing is they take away people's abilities to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they want to codify everything. They want to provide frameworks and step-by-step instructions. And I guess you know, what I'd love people to do is push back against that a little and go, okay, look, I'm interested in this movement. I hadn't, you know, I didn't know anything about it until the minimalist documentary came out on TV. But now that I've seen that documentary, like don't be tempted to go, okay, the way these guys are doing it is the way to do it and I must follow all their instructions. It's just like these guys have introduced me to the concept. Now I need to find my own version of what, you know, a minimal way of Mm -hmm. life looks like. And I guess a good way to illustrate that might even be for you and I to talk about, say, things, you know, and what our favourite things are. Because, like, you know, I sit here in my study at home and I look around my office and there's stuff everywhere at the moment, which is kind of driving me a bit nuts, but... (laughs) It's all meaningful to me. Like everything that's in this office, bar the big printer that's sitting on the desk in front of my face at the moment. It's like one of those big fax printer, <laughs> you know, it makes you a cup of coffee type scenarios. Yeah, not and minimal. It is not minimal. It is a monstrosity and I'm dying to get rid of it. But then, then the environmentalist in me goes, you cannot just get rid of the printer because it's offending your aesthetics. Um, <laughs> it still works perfectly well. You either need to give it to someone or you have to put up with it until it dies. And, of course, it's never going to die. But, yeah. So, just to spite you. Yeah, and this is it. And so it's mixed in with the minimalist mindset. There also has to be an environmental aspect mm. to it. It can't just be like, oh, that thing is just ruining the lines in this room. I must get rid of it. Like, Which I think is one of the biggest criticisms that modern minimalism has you know of the just get rid of it if it's if it's excess to need yeah. kind of thing, or if it doesn't fit your aesthetic get rid of it or get rid of 10 things and buy three to replace them because they look better and they're minimal yes. and stuff like so that to me regardless of how you dress it up is about minimalism as an aesthetic and you know you can talk about rules of minimalism all you want but for many people not all but People who, I guess, maybe come at minimalism from a similar place that you and I do, which is of intention, wrapped up with kind of a a, quite a complicated, you know, knot of environmentalism and meaning and purpose and all those sort of things. They don't exist singularly, those things. They all come together and make this soup of kind of a philosophy that I live my life by. And I think that's the big criticism of minimalism at the moment. You, you know, if, if it ruins the aesthetic of your house, just get rid of it and replace it with something else. That to me is the opposite of mindfulness. That's really mindless and it's consumption, you know, and it's excessive consumption and, and mindless consumption, which from my personal definition, I guess, of minimalism, it, it's doesn't fit like that does not fit and I know we're both dancing around not then being the people that go this you guys are doing it wrong you need to do it our way so we definitely don't want to get caught saying that but I do feel it's pretty safe to say the true core of minimalism is intention it's looking at you know because the thing is we've all grown up in a society of accumulation and where things 
are a signal to us and to others of status and achievement and success. And now it's amazing that we are now having some serious pushback against that and pushback against not just little things like big things too. Like, do we really need to send the kids to private school? Like I was talking to a friend the other day and he was like, you know, instead of sending my kids to, I've got two, he's got twins. They're just about to go to high school. He's like, instead of spending 60 grand a year to send them both to a private school after tax, 60 grand after tax is a significant (laughs) amount of money. Mm -hmm. He's like, I would rather, you know, and we're fortunate to live in area where the public schools are great, but there's also the social pressure of if you live in these areas, everybody sends their kids to private schools. So, Mm. you know, it's a hard thing to push back against, but he said in sending my kids to the local public school, then I can set aside 20 grand a year for them to, you know, maybe do an overseas trip or for the family to do an overseas trip that we then learn in a different way through that overseas trip or we develop, you know, or for their, you know, if they want to study something specific and do extra study in that area, then that money can go to that. So it's just being a little bit more intentional with how we're spending our money rather than just going, okay, well, if I live in this area, then my kids go to this private school. Yep. When people push back against that, it gives other people push the ability to push back against that as well. So it's just there's a lot of status stuff. There's you know there's a lot of people who are you know they left college and they went on to become lawyers and they made lots of money and accumulated all the things and then went oh why am I not happy still. Mm. And, you know, had to push back against that and go, actually, these things aren't making me happy. What What is leading a simpler life is. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's I – read, I read an article this morning or yesterday, something about how religion in our society is no longer – it doesn't mm. fit in terms of morals. You know, like that's not how people define their morals. Yes. And I'm talking about very generally in, yep. in society-wide – that's not the way we we define whether or not we're being an ethical person or a moral person. And we've had to replace that with other things. And it was interesting because his article was saying that the way people think about food and health and wellness has become a moral yeah. code. You know, I look after myself, therefore I am moral. I am ethical. I am, you know, living life well. And I feel like our approach to stuff has become much the same in a very muddied kind of way yeah. because there's still people who who have absolutely decided that the things that they own are important and that's how they define themselves as successful or where they belong in you know, society or whatever. But then there are other people who have gone the very opposite end who see their ability to completely remove themselves from ownership and status as a very moral thing to do and it gives them the high ground. And it's really interesting to see, I guess, how twisted that all gets when, you know, you get people coming in it, into it from all different angles to see, well, who does it better? You know, and my way of minimalism yeah. or my way of simplicity is better than yours because of these reasons. And I just think that that's all crap. I really do. I just, all I think that minimalism or slow living or simple, whatever you want to call it, is about intention. And if you're awake and if you're mindful and questioning and curious and genuinely engaged with the idea of asking yourself why about lots of different things, then you can't really go wrong. And it's got nothing to do with what it looks like or what it sounds like or how much better than someone you feel when you talk about it or how much less than someone you feel when you talk about it. It's just about intention. And I think that's what 
what I was trying to get to at the beginning of the conversation where I'm like, it's not about stuff at all. It's yeah. just not, you know, that's just the way we've kind of glommed onto it because that's easily identifiable. Yeah. Yeah. All that to say, <laughs> this yeah, I did call this episode things. So we do have to talk about stuff. <laughs> oh, so oh, and, but I'm, and I'm also the same. I own stuff. Like I own yeah. heaps of stuff and people would walk in. They're like, this is not a minimalist's house. I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. But this, and this is, I guess, what I wanted to talk about today. Cause I guess I, I know a lot of our listeners would be sitting there th- at home thinking, you know, I do embrace the minimalist way of thinking and I do approach my life with intention. Yeah, I still have so many things. Like, mm. is it wrong? And I thought I thought what would be fun today in the second half of this episode is to kind of talk about the things that we have and really, really value mm. and just talk about that in a general way. And I guess like cool. I know for me, my biggest thing that I have and this quite often clashes a little bit with you know I have some qualms about it is I love my house like you know so we built this house last year um it's it's our dream house it's designed for us it's in a beautiful location like the it's in a cul-de-sac in a suburb that we love right near our kids school we're one kilometer from the ocean like it just ticks every lifestyle box for us and then the house itself we designed it ourselves for our needs. So, you know, it's pretty perfect and we love it. And some sometimes I feel a little frizzen of guilt at hmm. just how much this thing, this house, how much enjoyment and happiness it brings me because I feel like a thing shouldn't give that much happiness or I shouldn't base my happiness on a thing. Mm. I don't think it's necessarily you've not based just your happiness on it like you had happiness before you had the house you know and I think it's you guys had been you you were the definition of intentional with your home and you can tell that I've been there and and it's it's been put together really incredibly mindfully for you and your family so I think it's intentional it's not status oriented it's about you and the most important people to you and you know the way that you live in that home is important I think you know you're not you don't use it as a like a measuring stick to measure or as a trophy I guess correct yeah Yeah, which I think is is the difference well that's good yeah and I mean (laughs) I have things that I get huge amounts of pleasure out of I really do and I have no problem with it because it's intentional you know I don't buy I don't get that pleasure from buying stuff just for the sake of it it's things that I use it's things that I live with things that I have experiences with you know you asked me to think about some of the things that I I love and my list was my passport my backpack (laughs) my winter jacket my snowboard and there's all stuff to be a bit of a theme here yeah yeah well yes (laughs) it's funny that you say that because well you've got that theme because the list of all my things that I love uh, they're all things in my house that make my house my house and I guess to clarify that and this is the real big difference between you and me is like for me I would rather be at home than any place in the world so when it comes to I guess spending my money I put it all into my home because this is where I want to be whereas you guys when you spend your money you spend a lot of it on travel because Mm -hmm. that's your thing like you just love you've got the itchy feet, you've got the wanderlust and that's of value to you. So, and I guess that's another interesting thing to look at is that, yeah, we don't travel overseas a lot. 
I have no desire. You know, I like going overseas, but the pain of traveling with young children doesn't override the, Mm -hmm. you know, the benefits of traveling for me. Whereas for you guys, it's not easy traveling with young kids, but it's easy to do when you love it so much. Yeah. And I guess that's interesting as well to look at. It's an intentional way to spend your money on the experiences that you love. So, I mean, I, for all that my house is a thing, it's also an experience for me. Like it literally is. If I if I didn't have to leave it, like if I didn't have like this kind of full-on four-year-old that just needs to be run for several hours <laughs> on a weekend, every weekend, like we would never leave the house. Like we would just stay here and chill out and, and that, you know, that's our perfect weekend. Yeah, and that's why I don't think that any particular rule like, you know, travel instead of stuff or like travel rather than, you know, spending money on your house, that that's useless. That is not minimalism either because it doesn't fit everyone. You know, it's all about intention. There's a little bit of, oh, what's the word I'm thinking? A little bit of snobbery in there in the yes. travel world where people who travel do look down a little bit on people who don't travel. And I know I'm making a sweeping generalization here and the vast majority of people I know who travel do not do this, but I see it a lot in articles where People who travel mm-hmm. look at people who don't and go, you know, you're, you're missing out. Like, yep. you know, you it's are moralizing holding... again. Yes. And I yeah. guess that's the problem with all, you know, it's a common problem with every single movement and the minimalist movement is no different is that as soon as we start attaching some kind of moral compass to the movement, that's when we start to run into a little bit of trouble. Well, you start alienating people and you make people feel like their choices aren't valid or aren't as, you know, important or, or high, high-minded. I don't know. It's, and I, I just think it's such a huge error. And it puts error. them off having a go, doesn't it? Absolutely. Like- Absolutely. You know, people say, well, I, you know, I like the idea of minimalism except I'm a crafter and, you know, I love, I love yeah. creating or I love painting or I'm a collector of comics. Like you can be both. You can absolutely be both because take away the the, the visual, whatever visual you have of mm. minimalism, take that away and replace it with questioning. <laughs> That's all. And if you question things and you're like, I'm a highly sentimental person and I have every stuffed toy that I had as a child <laughs> and you ask yourself, do you, like, how does that make you feel? Do you, is that meaningful to you? And if the answer is genuinely yes, great. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> you know, that's not that's not anyone's place to tell you that you're wrong. I think it's a matter of being open to to questioning and but genuinely open, not just a, a passing. Am I okay with that? Yeah, sure. It takes time to really dig into it and look at your reasons why and how it's making you feel. And whatever the answer is, it's okay. I think that that moralizing is is really detrimental to everything about any movement you know any particular movement and I think we've seen the same thing with health and wellness yeah it's become this kind of way of signaling to the world that I don't know we're we're valuable or well, that we're better snobbery. than like people who don't exactly basically. it's it's a, exactly. it's a way of elevating ourselves in choosing to do this thing or in choosing to live in, live my life this way I'm better than the people who don't and I think as soon as we get caught up in that mindset and it doesn't matter what we're doing and I've been there I, I used to think because I was fit and healthy and didn't smoke and didn't take drugs that I was better than people who did all those things and I had to come to the realization that actually, no, you're not, um, mm, Kelly. Yeah. You know, not better or worse than anybody. But yeah, no, it's 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 a hard mindset to shift. 
it's an easy mindset to get into because this is, you know, as, like we said, as soon as anything gets co-opted by the media, they create the narrative and, and that's the narrative they create. They want to create a divisive narrative of us mm. and them because yeah. that's how they then generate clicks and create conversation. And we, those of us who live the movements, like literally live it, we have to watch ourselves and make sure that we don't then fall into the habit of imposing rules on people or trying to catch people out or saying, you know, they don't get to do that. Like, you know, I, mm. I saw, I won't name names, but I saw someone call out the minimalists on social media the other day for using takeaway cups mm-hmm. in their documentary. And I was like, okay, I get that. But in you calling them out like that, you're attaching right or wrong to the use of takeaway cups. You know, it's different to go, oh, well, how do they call themselves minimalists if they're using takeaway cups? They should be using keep cups. And it's kind of blurring the lines because that's more of an environmental issue than a minimalist issue. But I think we've got to be careful not to do that because in doing yep. that, we are laying down a moral code and attaching it to that thing. So, Which overall I think cheapens all of it and it makes it in the end not really mean much. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree with you. What things do you keep and love and use? Because, I mean, I've got a few things that I I want to talk about and they don't necessarily all need to tick all those boxes because I have things that I keep but don't love because I use them, you know. Yeah. What are some things that you intentionally keep and use constantly? All my books. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't read all my books twice, even though I have read a lot of them twice, but, like, I collect – I unashamedly – accumulate books every so often I do a clear out of them but they are my favorite thing in the world and so they're something that I just kind of give myself permission to just unabashedly accumulate I love plants as well so and I keep buying plants and it's just like <laughs> we've got a garden we can't have any more plants in the house because there's nowhere for them to go because there's only certain rooms in the house where plants can thrive but there's just something about plants. So I've started buying fake plants, which is, yeah, they're good. They're just as good. They're expensive <laughs> exactly. though. But do you know what I wanted to talk about? Yeah, I, In our bedroom, we have this chest at the end of our bed and I keep smashing my leg on this chest in the <laughs> night and it's like, when are you going to get rid of that chest? And the thing is that chest holds like all my stuff from triathlon days, like, you know, clippings and race results and medals and all, all kinds of just it's triathlon related stuff. I don't need it. If the house burnt down and all of that went, I, I don't even really know what's in there. But every mm-hmm. time I revisit it to think, oh, maybe I should clean that thing out and just get rid of it. I keep I keep it. I can't bring myself to throw it away. Not because of some weird twisted amount of sentimentality. It's more like it's my connection to that part of my life. Mm-hmm. I like revisiting that part of my life and I need those things to do it because everyone's like, oh, you know, the memories live in your head. And it's like, well, you know what? My memory's not that good. <laughs> my head's pretty full. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what I did yesterday, much less, you know, 15 years ago. <laughs> and the other thing that I really love is my phone because it allows me to do things like take photos, which, you know, I've yep. had digital cameras for years. Um, never use them but my phone I capture so many moments 
because it's so easy and it's there. And that's another thing that really irks me. And it's not really to do with the minimalist movement, but in general where people are like, you know, if you put your phone away and just experience the moment, you'll experience it so much better. And I'm like, you know what? I take my phone out and I take a photo of the moment and then I put my phone away and experience it. But exactly. taking the photo of the moment, I get to revisit that moment when I'm flicking through the photos on my phone. And I love it. I love yep. revisiting those moments. Yeah, my I don't know about other people's memories, but my memory doesn't hold on to details very well. It holds on to mm-hmm. just general feelings and concepts, but doesn't hold on to details. So I need... You know, I love reading an old clipping in this chest upstairs that I've got and going, oh, yeah, I forgot I even did that or I forgot this thing happened. And it's just, it's quite nice. So that's kind of my thing that I hang on to that people would think, surely you can get rid of that. You know, surely you don't need triathlon trophies from 15 years ago, but I hold on to them for that reason. So do you have, just to finish up, something random that you hold on to that people would think, maybe you could let that go now? (laughs) (laughs) In as much that anyone gets to say that. Yeah, yeah, no, and I know people would look at, at it and go, well, you know, you've done all this work to simplify and this is what you continue to yeah. hold on to. So I've got my, my random little Hobbit poem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that you thought in, you in. lost. I did. Yeah. And interestingly, I found that Hobbit poem because I had to go back through like university transcripts. <laughs> oh. And why I, did I mentioned you have that and people are like, why do you still have trip? university transcripts? <laughs> answer don't know (laughs) but second answer glad I did because I found my hobbit poem I mean I have a a box of like I call it a memory box yeah it's just a small plastic crate that every probably three months I'll pop something in there you know the kids might draw something for me or a birthday card or a mother's day card and it doesn't have a huge amount in there but the things that are in there I've kept on purpose I will go back and look through that box probably every year or so usually in the in the summer holidays we'll do you know a cull of that kind of stuff and the vast majority of it I I've kept on purpose and I'm happy to keep it because I'm not dissimilar to you that some of those things really do spark memories and I am absolutely a big one for talking about living in the moment and soaking in the details but I totally agree with you that you can't judge someone for taking a photo on their phone for not living in the present. I just, that really, and that's where moralizing comes oh, into it again. It irks me so much whenever I see people saying that. I just want to go, that's, oh, look, what? Because they don't know how many photos you've taken. That might be literally the single yes. photo you take all day. And it's not our place to judge someone for taking a photo. I mean, if they had a, a big camera, you wouldn't judge them. It's just because yeah, it's attached exactly. to someone's phone. <laughs> So, I mean, I, I take photos all the time, but I also have my phone in the bottom of the car all the time. Like it's, it's not a competition in who's more present because their phone is in their hand or not in their hand, you know, and I, I love looking back at photos. I've actually rediscovered, this is a very long answer, but this is, I'm getting to it now. I rediscovered a box of like print photos not that long ago that I have been slowly like going through you know, getting rid of the ones that are horrible because with all film cameras, obviously you don't get a, a do-over, um, but then scanning all the ones that are keepers and then letting go of the physical photo once I've backed it up a couple of times. And I love that. I love going through them. I still periodically go through our, our photos from 2003 when Ben and I were in Canada for the first time. And, um, yeah, I think that sort of stuff is wonderful. And it's not stopping me from living in the present moment. You know, it's it's – just relishing in 
a wonderful experience. And then I turn around and I go and relish in the present moment, you know. And I think, yeah, taking that idea of good versus bad away from, from that kind of stuff is really important because no one gets to tell anyone else what is sentimental and what's not and what's important and what's not. Like old photos, I think, are, have been surprisingly important to me in their rediscovery. Yeah. It's funny when you move house, every time you move house, you rediscover all these things and you make a judgment about whether you take it with you or whether it's time to let it go. And yeah, certainly when we moved house last year, and it's quite complex when we moved house last year because all our stuff had had been in storage for three years. And I was like, what is this stuff in here? Like, if I haven't missed it in three years, then maybe we shouldn't be taking it with us, you know? But then when I revisited it, I was like, well, yeah, this stuff is actually quite important even though I haven't seen it so yeah there are complex emotions tied up in these things but as you said we got to avoid putting rules around what we get to keep and and not keep or what we should buy or shouldn't buy or what's important and what's not important yeah and I guess so it'd be great to have everyone in the Facebook group like share their thoughts on this one come and share with us the one thing that you have in your house that everyone just looks at you and goes, why do you still have that thing? But you've kept it because it's important to you and come and tell us why. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let It Be. If you want to connect with Kelly or myself, you can find us on social media. Kelly is at Kelly Exeter on Twitter and on Facebook. If you search for A Life Less Frantic, you will find her there. And on uh, Twitter, I'm at Brooke McCallery. And on Facebook, I'm at Slow Your Home. And uh, if you wanted to either reach out to us on Twitter, you can use hashtag LetItBePod or uh, head over to LetItBe.fm and you can find our show notes and other information about the show. And finally, if you wanted or felt you know, the desire to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, that would be wonderful. And, um, you know, we we read them all and we appreciate you taking the time to listen and then uh, tell us what you think. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.